I gotta know. Yes, I'm about to activate it. No, 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 not that. What the hell does Cree mean? Well, actually, it means a lot of things. Um, loosely translated, it means uh, attention, listen up, concentrate. You who? Yes, in a manner of speaking. Huh. Okay. Here goes. You who everybody, welcome to the Cree You Who podcast number ten. We did it. Give me five. Give me ten, actually. We're ten episodes in. Well, ten podcasts in anyway. And we're talking about the episode Thor's Hammer, a really, really big one when it comes to uh, setting up the world of Stargate SG One, because it's the first episode with Asgard, baby, and Unas, baby two alien races which are going to figure big in the rest of Stargate SG-1 and this is the first time we meet them uh, we get one point on the board straight away with an establishing shot of Cheyenne Mountain so we're having a briefing there Jackson has this new theory and he's postulating that there are good star gods as well and that the Gould did not build the Stargates uh, right there there's the foreshadowing of the ancients which don't come in for a long time yet but anyway, he suspects Thor's hammer, it, the myth, refers to an actual alien device. And Tilk just pipes up and tells us that uh, the Gaul don't want to go to this planet Samaria. Uh, and that he recognizes the symbol in the myth. So off we go. We've got a malp named Fred. <laughs> They're still using the Fred ones. Um, Daniel pops up with this little uh, box of uh, Carl Sagan greeting, which is really cool. Really good idea. And I, you can't help but notice that they've driven the melp up all the way up the ramp, so it's right in the zone of the kawoosh, so it's going to be vaporized as soon as they actually activate the case. Because <laughs> they hadn't figured that part out yet, I guess, when writing this series. Anyway, uh, we get another five points on the board because Walter is dialing the gate, though he doesn't get to Chevron 7, so there's no Chevron 7 locked. But you know what? Those are the only points for this episode. Six. V- another low-scoring one. Anyway, the story moves on, we go to Samaria, we see the big old hammer monument, and the gate opens and the locals are startled, but then they start to laugh because they see Teal'c and they think, oh, 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 your number's up, baby. So the scanner scans them and it takes Teal'c and O'Neill away. Oh no, danger! And Daniel thinks they're dead and Sam is pissed! <laughs> um, we get a cool little Star Wars reference here. You're a little short for gods. <laughs> Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Aren't you a little fat to be a stormtrooper? So we meet this lady, Gerwin, and she gives us all the information in a tidy little 30-second exposition bracket about this planet and Asgard, Thor... Actually, we don't know that he's in Asgard yet, do we? Well, she tells us what's going on, and Sam and Daniel figure out that it's just a transporter, not a vaporizer, and there's hope yet. Hooray. We also hear that... The, the gold were not the only ones to transport humans around the galaxy. Is that the first time we've heard that? Uh, she mentions that Thor brought us here from Midgard. And, of course, the hologram in a moment tells us that this is a planet reserved for the... Something the, uh... <laughs> this is a planet reserved for the procreation of species or something. 
Anyway, so O'Neill and Teal'c have been zapped down into this cave. It's a big old spooky cave with blue lighting. That's how you know it's spooky. And the hologram talks. It's one of the one of these holograms that always shows up, and it's fun to mess with them. And but anyway, it's the first time that he says Asgard. Supreme Commander of the Asgard Fleet. The High Council of Asgard has designated Samaria, a safe world for developing sentient species. By unanimous decree, error 40.73. Yada 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 yada. So the hologram sentences them to death, thinking they go old. Um, we get the standard, I think we're talking to the answer machine joke. <laughs> and there's no technology gonna work down here. So only the host can survive this ordeal. The go old are toast. Anyway, this woman, Gerwin, takes us to meet this woman, Kendra, and she's hand-devicing this kid, and we think it's Brain Scrambler, so we go, no! But of course it's not. It's the first time we see a hand-device healing thingy. Uh, an unscrambler? Uh, Go-old healing device, we call it later, of course. When Sam gets the knowledge of the Go-old, since she was part Tok'ra, and she gets the ability to use them. You know, they really don't play up that, and well, I guess I'll get to that my gripe on that later, but I always wondered how come every member of an SG team was not um, voluntarily, or as part of their basic training, just blended with a Tok'ra symbiote, and then unblended again, just so that they could have that ability. <laughs> the, what is it, the Nakwit in the blood? However they explain it. God, it's like fucking mini-chlorians, isn't it, from Star Wars? Anyway, we meet Kendra, and she's brain-scrambling the blondest kid who ever lived and we get some exposition. She used to have a goa all in her head. And it's the first confirmation for Daniel. And so he's really excited in this episode. I mean, the the danger and everything in this episode is for Teal'c and O'Neill. But for him, it's, it's also a, a big deal. Because, yay, his wife can be saved. And so he spends the entire episode just chatting about his wife. While he gets information for him, he's getting information for us. Yay. Now um, we switch back down to the cave, and I'm going to be switching backwards and forwards a lot, because it switches a lot in this episode, backwards and forwards, uh, in the cave, out of the cave, in the cave, out of the cave. Down in the cave, they're wandering around, and, um, you know, how are we going to get out of here? Figuring out, there must be a way out of here. But there's this really interesting little thing from O'Neill saying, you'll never catch me with a gold symbiote. Now does that, does that foreshadow the episode Hathor, which is coming up in three more episodes. Oh, you'd have done the same for me. Of course, you're not going to find me walking around with one of those cool blarb in my gut, but hey. <laughs> because, of course, he becomes the first prime of Hathor. Um, or maybe my memory's fuzzy, and they knock O'Neill out just before he becomes uh, implanted, and so technically never has one in his gut. Anyway, we'll see very soon how that pans out. So we figure out the... You know, there's bones beside the pool. There must be something down here with large and powerful teeth. And we get a little tease of the Unas claws. Is it me, or is the Unas the most terrifying thing you've ever seen in your life? This thing is fantastic. The art department really went overboard on this thing. It's horrifying. It's like the devil, but it's more of a water elemental thing than a uh, fire elemental thing. Almost as scary as that thing in the episode Fire and Water, which is coming up in a couple... Oh, yeah. 
So we switch back up to Kendra and she's telling them all about the labyrinth. I call it the labyrinth. Sam and Daniel don't need to know any of this information about what's down there, but the audience does to foreshadow it. Um, Kendra gives a little rant about the Jafar being just as guilty. She screams at the sky and the Valkyrie gods, they sort of tell her to help, which is kind of weird. I mean, she, of all people, <laughs> should know that the gods are just aliens impersonating gods, I guess. It just seemed really weird to me. So switch back down to the cave and they find the hammer room, or one of the rooms in there anyway, and they figure out the staff weapon doesn't work, but the guns do, and the Unas comes out from around the corner and it is scary as fuck! I am shitting my pants at this point. And... Who's gonna leave this place alive? Right? Perhaps this could be of some benefit to the boy who was your friend. Scar. Yeah, I thought of that. <laughs> yeah. By the way, we just need to mention his name so that that whole thing is still going in the Stargate world. Because <laughs> we haven't mentioned them in quite a while now. Uh, <laughs> oh yes, the exposition? Yes, I had thought of that. Yes, it's good you meant... It's good you brought that up. <laughs> so... Kendra makes this uh, circle and has a more of a chat about how much of the host memory survives and talks about becoming a voice within, which is really important uh, for Daniel, really important news. And we see that in action when uh, Sharae spots them hiding in some Stargate room. I think it's back on Abydos. And she doesn't give them away, even though she sees them in plain sight. Doesn't tell the Jafar to blast them. Uh, so... Back down in the cave. See, we're just switching backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards in this episode. <laughs> it's really tiring. Because, for one thing, nothing happens up on the surface that's interesting in the, lo in the least. So, back down in the cave, the Unis attacks, and... Oh, fuck. Uh, James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. The greatest voice they could possibly have got for this, and they got him. James Earl Jones just makes this twice as scary. Whatever level... I'll see your level of scary and raise you James Earl Jones. <laughs> and we get that little, that cute little story about Jafar scary stories that are meant to scare children. Um, some teasing that Jafar have this whole rich world of their own and their own culture, which we get into a lot. But anyway, of course, this is just setting up the Unasses, something that scares even Jafar. And Jafar are bad asses. Anything that scares them is going to be scary for us. We shoot it to death and Tilt checks its pulse <laughs> in its neck like you would a human and declares that it's dead. I believe. Yeah. You believe? I am certain. <laughs> of course you're certain if you checked its pulse in its neck. It's sort of like a gold slash T-1000 slash Wolverine thing. It's pulling bullets out of itself. It's reanimating. You can't kill it. Back on the surface with Kendra, she leads them to the exit. Well, she's leading them, but what I wanted to point out right here was that they're playing this music that sounds exactly like Age of Empires 2. Did you ever play that game? Whenever you chose to be the Vikings or the Goths or something, or the Celts, they would play this in the soundtrack. Mandatin Estora Chopin. <laughs> God, I'll miss that game. Anyway, we switch back down to the cave and we get some backstory on the Una. So let's just play that in its entirety because it's really important. What did you mean when you told that thing it didn't exist? 
Venus is believed to have been the first host, born of the same primordial waters as the gold. It became a myth, much like your vampire. That thing was a gold? Yes. I thought they preferred human hosts. There are other species far older that have been used as hosts. Some of immeasurable power and savagery. Yeah, well, I wonder how long it's been trapped down here. Perhaps a thousand years. Owners can utilize long periods of sleep to survive. It is dead, right? We don't have to go back there and try to stake through its chest or anything. The old stories say owners had great regenerative powers. But those are tales told to frighten children. It is a myth. It was dead. That's good. Lots of stuff there about Nurnus being a really ancient species and that, uh, yeah, even some mention of the gold as a product of evolution elsewhere in the universe. How long ago was that, I wonder? I'm not sure we ever hear about that again, do we? Though there is that... No, I'm talking shit because there's there's the episode, is it Enemy Mine? When they actually hang out with the Unas. Daniel Jackson gets captured, of course. And it's, um... There's a whole lake full of golds just sitting there because it's their home planet where they originally came from and it's the same planet as the Unas. So this is all foreshadowed right here in this episode. Anyway, switch back up to the surface and Kendra is lost, leading them around the mountains and she sits down and pulls a Gandalf. I've no memory of this place. Ah, it's that way. I've just remembered. Anyway, hey, how was my Gandalf impression? Let me know. <laughs> I'm quite proud of that one. Um, back down in the cave. Uh, Unus is recovering from the bullet wounds. Back up on the surface, Sam and Daniel arguing basically to kill time in the episode and keep them in the story. <laughs> At this point, it's just annoying. Back down in the cave, the Unus attacks, and it's still not dead, it's still wolverining. Back up on the surface, Kendra has found the exit, finally. Um, and she gives us this scary speech about the Unus and the monster that's down there, and it's all this foreshadowing, making it scary. Except it's in the wrong place, because it's basically the end of the episode. (laughs) She might have been slightly interesting if she had said that kind of earlier, and before we had seen it, because now she's just telling us all about it, but yeah. Uh, what would you do without the annoying minor characters? So, back down in the cave, they've found the exit door, O'Neill tries to leave, but Tilt gets frozen in the thing, so O'Neill jumps back in and takes him out of the red beam that's frazzling him. Outside, Sam and Daniel and Kendra, they've found their way in, and the Eunice is attacking, and it's giving this speech about, why do you stay, human? Why have you allied yourself with this Jafar? And all that. And have you noticed that the horns on his chin wobble every time he talks? (laughs) Kind of belies the, uh, granite-like skeleton of this thing. So, we're fighting it, and we can't quite get it into the hammer. They're shooting it, and it's still resisting. (laughs) Are you considering the same strategy as I, O'Neill? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? And yes, I am. But anyway, Kendra recites this stupid poem, which doesn't need to be in the episode at all, except it opens the door, and it's complete bullshit, and it keeps her in the story, and makes her necessary somehow when she's not. And they, all three of them on the outside, they found their way in. And they see that Teal'c is sacrificing himself by pushing the Unas into the beam along with himself. So O'Neill pulls him out. The Unas is dead. Hooray. Danger over. But now they're still trapped. And they have that heartbreak de- heartbreaking decision to make for Teal'c's sake. 
touching moment from O'Neill. No, you're part of this family now, and we're not leaving you behind. And here I just noted, can they not take out Tilk's symbiote and maybe uh, just walk him out of there? Did they not think to start saving symbiotes from Jafar or anything? It would be possible later in the series when they develop the technology to get Tritonin or any other access to gold symbiotes. Um, but this is, of course, season one. We don't have access to that. So re- really, there really is no choice for Teal'c's sake here. So Daniel is the one who has to choose Teal'c over Shaori. Shaori. And he does it. Good for him. And there's this cute little message at the end. Thank you, Daniel Jackson. At least we know it can be done, right? Yeah, so we know it can be done. And really that's the takeaway message for the audience is that we're one step closer to beating the gold now that we know that Shaoray and Skara are still there somewhere and we just need to find them and find the technology and put it all together and we'll all be off home Everyone will be happy. So that's basically the end of the episode. There's just a brief little moment at the end with Kendra at the Stargate, and she's all like, thank you for helping me face my darkest demons. And at this point, I just want her to fuck off, because I don't like her. (laughs) I think her character is annoying and pretty unnecessary. Game over, man. So that's the episode. I keep trying to chuck my notes, screw them up, try to chuck them in the bin, but I'm not really getting the uh, hoops there. Anyway, episode's final score is 6, another episode that doesn't score very high, due mainly to lack of sexual tension and uh, lack of red shirts or going out of phase, that sort of thing. But, yeah, really good episode. Scary as fuck, and also annoying. (laughs) Alright, cheers, see you next time, yoo-hoo.